Welcome to the podcast, Falling in the Fast Lane, Real Talk About Teen Suicide and Grief. This podcast offers a series of conversations about teen suicide and grief from the perspective of the friends left behind. They discuss openly the complexities of the why and the how could you. The conversations include five episodes and cover topics like social media and mental health, the roles and responsibilities of schools and religions in educating teens about death and suicide, processing grief, what shock and PTSD look and feel like, and the profound wisdom and humanitarian lessons learned by a few brave teenagers who have turned their tragic loss into new sources of growth, compassion, and resilience. The conversations are drawn from the forthcoming book, Falling in the Fast Lane. We hope that this podcast offers lessons and healing grief and living on with hope and purpose. It is offered as a gift in honor of Leela, who, if she'd survived her suicide, would likely have said, I didn't mean to do it. The conversational content of this podcast is very raw and honest. It may be provocative and upsetting for some audiences. Listener discretion is advised. We recommend that adults listen together with their children if they are under 18. And if you have been touched by teen suicide or have found this podcast helpful, please support the related work of Maitri House Northwest, spelled M-A-I-T-R-I, House Northwest, a 501c3 nonprofit with a mission to learn and heal through nature. All right, this is podcast <laughs> number two. Number two for Falling in the Fast Lane. Um, <laughs> and uh, today's discussion is going to focus on trauma and shock Ooh-ooh. and grief uh, that you guys have experienced. I'm here with two young adults who um, had their teen friends suicide to live through. Uh, And so it was five years ago, they were sophomores in high school. And I just want to begin by asking the first question, was Leela's suicide a surprise? Um, In some ways, yes. Um, Mostly, yes. (laughs) There were, looking back, there were signs now that we all know what happens yeah but in the moment I was just more concerned for her mental well-being she just broken up with her boyfriend well boyfriend broke up with her you know in in teenage drama years that can be a lot and she was having some body image issues but nothing to where I thought she was gonna actually kill herself I just thought she was going through some shit Yeah, I mean, in retrospect, like Tal said, there's a lot of things that, I mean, I see now and it's hard to be like, oh yeah, it was a shock or like a surprise. But when Tal called me, like that was the surprise. I would have never thought that that would have actually happened. Yeah. Obviously, I probably would have, I don't know, I I done a little something different if I would have actually known it was going to happen. Yeah. I don't know what there could have been, but. Well, I have some kind of guilt and remorse that I 
think I've mostly worked through, but you never know. Um, that I, I talked to my parents the day after we went to a party um, and Leela got super hammered and was crying and we were all trying to take care of her and she was very distraught and I'd never seen her like that before. And I remember talking to my parents the next day and being like, I'm concerned about her. I don't know what to do. And I remember you were out of town and I was going to talk to you when you came back into town um, just about what I can do, you know, and she didn't make it that far for you to come back from your trip. So I remember when it all first happened, I had a lot of guilt over that, that I didn't reach out, even though you're on vacation and you just, you never know until it happens. Yeah. I'm going to circle back to the guilt um, because I know that that's a big piece of suicide and surviving suicide and grief in general. So I'm going to circle back to that. Um, but right now I just want to ask you guys, I mean, there was, I think you've kind of talked about some of the events that were happening kind of before the lead up to when she died, the, the boyfriend breakup. Is there anything else that, you know, you would connect the dots now in retrospect, or was that kind of the one event? No, like, um, grandparents passing um she had me tal and i not really being i mean i'm sorry to bring that up but like that that is that's where a lot of my guilt comes from was being so hard on her when she was in my opinion being a bad friend to people and i wasn't gonna like stand for that and i remember how much tal controlled us and our meanness and our ability to be catty (laughs) and tal wasn't there anymore and Leela was just being so catty and I couldn't handle it and I was definitely pretty tough love with her and so yeah I mean I don't know I think there was a lot of weird little things that added up to it and but all those things are so normal in high school they are yeah it's not and that's where that's where the question it's like it's there can't there obviously is guilt and grief but there not shouldn't be, but like there's no. So it's no one's fault. If <laughs> I hear, if I hear you correctly, if she hadn't died by suicide, and you were all sitting here looking back at that time, would you have thought that she was more out of line than anybody else at that point in time? Out of line in what way? Just, like, um, just like that her cattiness, yeah. that those behaviors. No. If, I think she, I mean, part of her personality was she was just mouthy and kind of, you know, she didn't take no shit. She kind of, and she would, she would mess with Caitlyn. She would try and go for the same guys that Caitlyn was going for. She just loved to be the center of attention. Oh, yeah. And, of course, you can look back at that and be like, oh, is that a cry for help? She wanted more attention. But it's. It was part of her personality. It was Leela. Like, that yeah. was her. And she, she liked to start stuff. We called her Snakey. Like, she literally was, she was a little snake. Like, <laughs> Snakey Lee was her, like, Instagram tag for a while. Like, she, yeah, we all made jokes. There was, like, her. one time I went too, like, way too, like, she took it too far with, like, an Instagram joke, like, posting it, like, roasting me. Mm-hmm. And I took it so much. Not like, it, we were just roasting each other. Like, I think I, like, made fun of her cones. And it was, like, <laughs> it was just called goats. Yeah. So, 
Well, let me ask you then to get back <laughs> for a moment here mm-hmm. into the actual moment. Yes. I mean, because we can talk a lot about whether we saw it coming. Yeah. It wasn't really obvious to most of us, yeah. at least not at the time, maybe in hindsight. But um, I want you to kind of try to center yourself and get back in detail in your visualization and in your emotional body what exactly you experienced when you found out that she had died what is sort of the picture that is frozen in your head if there is a scene or a picture of the moment you found out my staircase and I'm going to focus yeah ask go ahead my staircase was definitely, that's what I think of every time. And like running outside, like literally half naked. Because I just said, I didn't know what was happening. And I thought it was definitely, I mean, I had experienced like maybe one panic attack from like a stupid sports mistake when I was younger. But that was like the most out of body experience I've ever had. And just like, what the fuck? Like, what am I supposed to do? Like, what has what happens past this point? I don't even think I was thinking that because how there was no thought but the feelings in your body and just like the numb it's like a callus as soon as that's what it felt like like a A callus right it's like callus a callus like no that's the only way I can describe it it's like okay I'm shutting down Mm. like I'm shutting down and no one like I'm I'm done Protective layer. Yeah, completely. (laughs) Like, I was like, okay, this is the start of, like, I'm building my layer of, like, I'm not going to get close to people. And how long would you say that that sheltered, calloused layer, how long did it last, would you say? I'd say it just started dissipating. Now, five years later. I agree. Yeah. For me as well. Yeah. Kind of just, like, the way that I look at life has been lightening a little bit more than it did for the last four and a half years, whether I realized it then or not, how my perspective had changed, but it had. And it was more cynical. I'm going to come back to that again. Okay. But I, but right now I want to ask you, Talia, if you can, what's the image, the flashback, what's the image that keeps going through your mind? Like, where were you? What were you doing? How did you find out this news? Um, I was hanging out in bed not doing anything gnarly with my boyfriend at the time, just hanging out. And I can't remember who called me. Maybe it was my friend Chessa at the time. And she texted me and asked me if I was alone. And I was like, no, what's up though? Um, Do you want me to call you? And she was like, yeah. Or I can't really remember exactly what it was, but she called me and she told me and I don't remember the exact phrasing but it was something like Leela's dead I don't know if she said Leela killed herself but she said Leela's dead and I just started like freaking out and crying and I ran downstairs and my dad was downstairs and I think that he (laughs) thought that my boyfriend like did something or like pissed me off really bad because I'm wouldn't really do that normally and I told him and I remember, like, just seeing him, like, kind of fall to the floor and start crying. And I'd never seen him 
do that before. And that was really emotional. Um, and after that, I just kind of went into autopilot. We went over to Eden's and it was almost like it all wasn't real. Like we almost had too good of a time there because we were all still in shock and it didn't feel real. Yeah. Like we didn't know what we were doing there. So that acute shock where you feel like you were at Eden's, but you were having too good of a time. Yeah. You don't really remember why you were even there. Um, tell me a little more specifically about that experience. And uh, how, when did that kind of start to wear off, that acute shock? Um, I hadn't, I don't think I had really had a re, I had a reaction. I, when Tao called, I did, I think I was crying, but I think I had stopped. And then when I saw Tao, I started crying again. But the, the acute shock really didn't I think that go was two weeks like, for me. I felt like a month. Yeah. <laughs> like I remember sitting at her vigil and um, a friend that was in my grade had just lost his father like maybe a month before. And he, I remember he sat down with all of us and was just like, like that feeling of shock and like you're not really in this like world right now. Like it, it starts to go away like at a month. And he's like, that's when I started to feel a little more in my body and it's not like you feel normal but it's like okay I'm not floating anymore <laughs> okay like and it's almost like like literally a dream state like I remember sitting at the hue of the outside central in that um in the courtyard it was different and like everything looked different during that time yeah like, kind of fuzzy, a little foggy. But then, like, after the vigil happened, I remember getting the biggest high of emotions, of, like, happiness. It almost felt like I had been body snatched by Leela. And she just, like, came and was like, all right, this is my vigil. Like, I'm here. It was weird. I was so happy and excited. And it's just weird how the waves happen like that. So the storing of this... <laughs> Uh, shock in your bodies. I'm going to come back to that again. Or maybe, because next session, we're actually going to talk more about the body specifically. Yeah. So I want to save it, but I want you guys between now and then to kind of think about yeah. that. And go ahead, Talia, if you want to share about your experience. I had a very different vigil experience. I was doing all right. We went together. And then Max texted me from Leela's phone and sent me some pictures. And that sent me for the day. And I was, I was doing pretty good before that rest of the day, just bawling. Like the whole vigil, I could not keep it together. And mm -hmm. I was pretty embarrassed. I mean, what? that's what it's no. there for. But yeah, like, no. I was, but I, I was get that being I, wailing. We're, we have a lot of pride within both of us. Yeah. So, but. But, so why do you think that crying is, help me understand why crying at a vigil, like you have to hold it together, you have a lot of pride. Because like, people, people are talking. People are talking, but also, like, yeah. I don't know, I feel like I've been told my whole life, like, don't cry, like, don't show, like, be strong. Like, yeah. don't let people see that side of you. I don't know. And I 
am actually really pissed that I have that. I feel like there's a lot of times that I should have been crying and like releasing emotion. I feel like I have all of this pent up crap in me that I don't have the time to get out anymore. And everyone grieves differently mm-hmm. in, in their own time. And, you know, you can say it over and over again, but it's hard to get through your head until you're actually grieving and going through it and feeling guilty for not being upset one day when it's her funeral or whatever it is. And, and then the next day there's nothing and you're just a disaster. Yeah. That was like, that's how the cycle always was for me with her. Like any, um, like it's her anniversary. Yeah. It's like uh, the 21st. All right. Let's make people feel good. Like Mm -hmm. let's go to the school. Let's do this. Let's do that. And then the next day it's like this, this emptiness that I can't even describe. So emptiness or numbness? Num- no, it's like a longing, a loneliness. It's like, I have all of these people around me. Why can I not be happy? Because there's one person that I would love to have a conversation with and I can't. Yeah. So. And a lot of questions, too. A lot of fucking questions. Yeah. So I want to jump right to those questions. <laughs> what were some of those questions... And have they shifted over time? Yes. They're shifting. I kind of, I would love to talk to present day 21 year old Leela and just be like, was it worth it? Like, literally, are you like, what are you thinking now? You know, how are you reflecting on your actions that you did when you're 15? And like, do you feel... My first question would just be like, do you regret it? Like, do you regret it? I mean, I'm... Like, look down, like, look down. Like, I know you're, I know you're here in some way. Yeah. I don't know. What, um, at that time, if you can think back, and again, this has probably changed over the years, Mm -hmm. but in those first few weeks, let's say the first month, and then maybe by year one, let's say, what what were the events and the people specifically that were most helpful? Helpful. And what were the things, let's start with the helpful, and then I'm going to go to the not helpful. <laughs> okay. But when you think back at that early time, like what events, what gestures, what people, what was most helpful? Ooh, um... People not asking questions. People and not asking questions. No, no questions. Just like being there, knowing. I don't have to explain what is going on, why I feel the way I'm feeling. It's just like time spent together. That's the thing that's most comforting to me. It's yeah. like they're aware of just what I'm going alone. through. I don't want to be alone right now. Mm-hmm. Like I just want you to spend some time with me and like make it a little easier to and- we're the same way that way where I didn't want to be, I don't think I was alone for the two weeks after it all happened. And I just couldn't be alone. I couldn't sleep if I was alone. I just needed somebody to kind of distract me from the reality of what was going on. And then when I was alone, it would all hit me. Well, it's kind of just hitting me right now, but like think about how much body, like body contact we all had. Yeah. And, like, how much, like... We were very cuddly. We were so physically connected. 
And so for that physical connection to just disappear. Wait, wait, hold on. When you say we, are you, who are you talking about? Layla. The physical connection. I mean, she's the only, like, because that's what I always try to think. I'm like, I have a lot of coping mechanisms that help with the fact that she's not physically here to, like, be okay. It's like, okay, well, she's around me. I'm like, oh, I see this, and I see her here, and I see her there. But, like, when you really get down to it, it's like, I just want to fucking hold her. Like, that's all I want. And I think that that's what, like, maybe why we needed people around us, like, all the time. And it's not, and I mean, I have a huge, I don't know if you do, but, like, I have a huge thing with physical touch now. Like, I don't want people to fucking touch me. Like, at all. And it really is rooted in that. Like, it's not even other stuff. Like, and when you felt like you needed not to be alone in those first couple of weeks, um, was it? friends you needed to be with that knew Lila? Was it your parents? Was no. it your siblings? Was it counselor? Like, parents. I mean, no, who wait, was whoa, it? Whoa, not parents. I was just thinking about that. No. No. Friends. Like, all friends. We mm-hmm. were really spending, you were with us, right? You were coming after school to Jake's, yeah. right? Yeah. Okay, yeah. Like, we spent, it was For the record, it was, I went to a different high school at yes. this time. I'd switched yes. high schools to my yes. sophomore year, and I was close with Leela my freshman year. So when the whole grief happened, I was at a different high school than everybody who knew her. Yeah. So it was a bit different for me. So the ritual of going to Jake's yeah, we after, went there school. after school and like mm-hmm. um I remember uh his cousin's mom would like make us sandwiches and stuff like that. And we would just all hang out together after school and I remember I have a bunch of pictures there's like this time when we're all just laying in Jake's bed all of us together it's like eight people eight ten people yeah and these were all like from central like when we from our freshman year on this is like I don't know it was like our friend group and it was just all of us chilling and yeah we did that pretty much for a week or two weeks after like yeah and then it became a ritual that we went up to Leela's grave Mm-hmm. Every Thursday or Friday. Anderson Pack now reminds me of this oh, one song of his. Yeah. Now it reminds me because we were driving up listening to that album. We'll talk <laughs> about the triggers, right? Those <laughs> triggers that happen. Um, what was not, or who were folks that were not helpful in those initial couple of weeks? If there's any that you can think of specifically. Teachers. Yeah. Teachers were not helpful. People were not helpful. One bit. My brother. Oh. He was not helpful? He just kind of made it about himself and, like, didn't really give me the room to grieve and, like, really accept that she was my close friend. Because they were, you know, she would come over and we'd all hang out and stuff, but she was my friend and he kind of took it over a little bit and I didn't say anything I just kind of let it go but it's always a little bit bugged me and I love him but kind of sucked <laughs> yeah I also had a teacher I it was the day after Leela killed herself and I went to Grant so it was not a lot of people pretty much no one knew what had happened and I went to school the next day because I didn't know what else to do and nobody at my school 
really new, so it was just weird. I felt like a zombie walking through the hallways, just kind of watching all these people laughing and all happy and just remembering like, God, the world just got shattered. And I was sitting outside my theater class and I got there early and I like kind of had a meltdown, but then went in my class anyway. And my teacher, he looked at me in front of the whole class and said, wow, Talia, you look like you were road hard and put up wet. What happened to you? And I couldn't even get the words out and I just ran out and I told my mom later and she wanted to rip him a new one. But I was like, please, no drama. But I honestly kind of wish I did. He got fired. He was an alcoholic anyway. Mm-hmm. Public school. <laughs> but that was really shitty. That was really shitty. Yeah. So what would that be a message my... if you had one for teachers? Don't say, don't say let's go back to normal. Let's, let's not say there's so many, like there were teachers that did handle it better, better than others. But like my geometry teacher, she made this whole scene in class and like told me that we needed to go back to normal and that I had to participate in class and that, um, there was a person that came in the the day after that explained everything and that it's best. best to oh, just... it's explained. Thank yeah, you. Yeah. Yeah. Someone came into the individual classes and explained what had happened and what suicide is. And interesting that they never talked to Susie. Yeah. They never talked to Susie. Also, they never talked to us as a community, which they've done with every other death that is not suicide related yeah. at Central Catholic. Um, so that's interesting. What do you remember of that person's talk about suicide? Do you I wasn't actually... there. Oh, okay. Yeah, so that's the actual funny part, is that, well, you know, the first day, most people weren't in class. Right. Yeah. So, um... Tired. Yeah. Shit, why did like, I skip? It, we, were, we were just in the counselor's office. Oh, right. We were in the counselor's office. Like, yeah. it... But, like, why didn't they come to the counselor's office? Yeah. If it was so helpful and informative how were the counselors in the situation they were doing their best they were doing their absolute best they were the only ones that were really trying to help i mean i don't know i had a really awesome counselor there was other counselors i know i'd heard of that were not the best but my counselor checked in with me zero times cute yeah my mom emailed my counselor about three days after because my teachers kept being weird to me and they didn't know what happened and I kept running out of my classes because I had to go cry and my teachers were getting mad so my mom emailed my counselor and my counselor just emailed my uh my teachers and told them to chill out on me but never talked to me that's wow. cool wow wow yeah that's something mm-hmm. the only time I ever talked to my counselor was to get my classes changed wow nothing else yeah see that's how most people use their counselors I just always, like, walked into Boykel's office. I, I was never really... There were... I don't know. If I really think about it, they're not set out to check in on people unless they're, like, on suicide watch. Yeah. But they also never That's had a group. Yeah. They never yep. facilitated a group with you guys at Central anyway. And we were given a week to grieve. By right. the end of that week, it was like, they were like, all right, let's get back to class. Yeah, pack it up. Pack it up. We got two months. Come on. So I'm going to skip to the last question here because you're on it right now. But 
what do you think some of the negative consequences have been for you because you didn't have adequate time to grieve? I feel like I've lost a lot of time. I'd say, I'd say just using good coping mechanisms, healthy coping mechanisms, and I don't know, just trying to be stronger than I actually was. So you feel like if you had had more time to grieve, you would have found more healthy coping mechanisms? Or because you... If I had more resources and people reach out to me instead of me having to reach out to other people at 16, then probably, yeah. I think that's probably really where not ran from. with the same crowd I did. Yeah. I think so it's you about needed the... somebody to come and reach out to you. Yeah, I mean, we are a little like, bit like, like, come on now. <laughs> and we were doing it all. And I mean, you can only imagine that we probably only reached out when it was uh, really, really bad. Yeah. Like, so how many other days are we just spending? Do you think that having somebody to facilitate within the group, within your peer group, kind of more regularly, proactively at that time? Would you have gone? <laughs> well, we were doing that with you, but then yeah. we also were doing that. At the at her grave, we like we just did little... this. We just did this. Like we naturally came into this really awesome collective grief. Like we, a lot of us didn't have the resources to instantly get help for what we were going through, so we used each other. Yeah, and I think awesome. we did really good with it. Like mm-hmm. I look back, like I'm pretty proud of us. Awesome. So if you were to um, advise schools about an appropriate time for grieving, what would that duration look like? Because obviously kids do have to kind of at some point go back to school. You know, adults do have to at some point go back to work. But if it was your world, what would you say is would be a reasonable time frame? A week was clearly... I know, but I'd say a week to two weeks because, like, the thing is, is that... Yeah, we weren't focused on it. We were at school thinking about other... Like, it wasn't like we were just sitting in our grief, going through days of, like, waves and just processing those emotions whenever they come up. We had to block those things because we were in school. Okay, so when did... So I learned to block. Like, I feel like we learned to block those things, those emotions pretty well, which are some pretty heavy emotions. When would you say, or how did those emotions then, those grief feelings, when when did you find time to release them? And when did they start, like what are the triggers that would have them come up? Music, TV shows, different movies, kind mm-hmm. of like media based, mm-hmm. and then rewatching videos. Um, that was intense. Going over to your place at first. Um, the first sleepover at your place. Yeah. That was hard. Yeah. Because we used to have sleepovers yeah. all the time there. But I think it was also really healthy, healthy that we did that. Yeah. You know? Like, I don't know. It was the hard, movies but... Movies and music are, like, the really a big music. At that sh- like, that's when I would have to hold back. Nora Jones. Yeah. So it's like I'm not gonna like go, like be in a car of people and this trigger song comes on and I'm gonna be like, everyone turn it off. Like I used, I genuinely did used to. I would kind That's of fair. do that. I mean, it, it was fair, but like, 
now you just kind of like I'm learning to like sit through it and just like listen to that kind of stuff and like not let it be a trigger because I don't want as many triggers around me but it's music it really gets me Mm -hmm. so the title of this podcast and the book which you guys are helping write. Where I did most of my grief. What's in it the called? Fast lane. Most of my grief. Fast lane. Falling in the fast lane. So mm-hmm. tell me about that. Um, I would sneak out of my house like at least once a week and just at like 2 a.m. and just go and drive around and just blast music and just be sad on my own. And it was, it worked beautifully. It really helped <laughs> me. And just having the freedom of being able to just make your own, just go out and be like, am I going to take a left or a right? And be like, fuck it, whatever. You know, you can just, you get to be yourself and really lay it all out there. It's a really, I feel like the car is a super safe place. Mm-hmm. Like if you really, I have a, yeah, the car is a total safe place for me. When I would do my drives to Eugene, my mm-hmm. whole, all of senior year, when I go visit Sean, oh my God, I'd spend the whole drive, like, listening to music, getting, trying to get stuff out of me. I don't know. Like, and then that's not really exciting. You would just, I don't know. I would, uh, just park my car outside my house after school and sit in there for like an hour just cause mm-hmm. I'd be so tired and I just wouldn't want to get out and I just listen to music. So the triggers are coming less often or you can now, it sounds like make a choice about not going there yeah better mm-hmm. I'd say so but mm-hmm. and that started to become a thing like uh maybe like I don't I can't remember but I feel like it was a more recent thing that that be like being able to control the triggers so we're five years so four years mm-hmm. four and a half years mm-hmm. you can start controlling the triggers or deciding oh here comes here comes a grief wave. I don't want to deal with this right now. Um, one example I have is, I think it was probably a year-ish after, and I was just driving to school, and this new album came out, and it was an XXX Tentacion album. I don't know. Tentacion something. Anyway, it's just super, not great music, but he's very depressed and probably on a lot of drugs. Yeah, but if you're if you're mad and grieving, great music. But it was a very um, sad album, and by the time I got to school, I was already a mess, and I was kind of like freaking out in my car. And I got into class, and I just when you say freaking out in the car, describe it for me exactly. The grief waves coming on. You've had a trigger listening to this music. Um, I'd say I just, what does freaking out mean? Like the reality that I was just in isn't there anymore. And my reality is sadness again. Did it's it build, back to, did it build in you? Totally. Like was it, the, where was it building from? I think my chest. Yeah. Yeah. And kind of just, Yeah. Breathing mm-hmm. was a bit harder and that kind of thing. But if I wanted to calm myself down, I probably could have. But I was just already there mm-hmm. and it felt good. Mm-hmm. And I remember I went to my first class and by my second class I was a mess and I left. And 
I was just did not want to go to my next class and I remember telling my mom that I was having kind of a grief wave I don't know how I phrased it but she's like Talia like you can't really use this as an excuse anymore and like after you know I was skipping class a lot in those days but probably because I was really sad <laughs> about everything and you know I didn't really feel like school mattered because what is life that whole Right. Mm -hmm. and school felt like nothing. So I I get it, I guess, from my mom's perspective, but it stuck with me. And now knowing that it stuck with me, if I was a parent in that situation, I wouldn't do that. But she'd never been in that situation. So, so if you were say, a parent in that situation, having lived through what you did, and your daughter called you up and said, I'm having a grief wave, I don't want to go to my next class, what do you think you would say? I'd say take your class off. If you can go and sit, eat some food somewhere, you calm down, go back to class. If not, we can talk about it. Make sure you get all your work that you need to catch up on. Make sure you're on top of it, but go home. If you're, if you're not going to actually be actively listening in class, what's the point of being there? And that's the thing. Like people, it's like they think you can just turn it off. Mm -hmm. in those beginning times, like in that beginning time, I could not turn that off. As numb as I was, it's all I would, all I was really thinking about. Even if it wasn't what I was genuinely thinking about, it's what my brain would always go to. Yeah. If I could be in a disassociation for like five minutes and then someone says something and I'm like, why are we talking about that? I'm thinking about Leela. <laughs> like, I don't want to talk about that. Like, no, I don't want to listen to my geometry class. It's yeah. pointless. I'm never going to use this. My best friend, she just died. What? I, I don't remember a lot of sophomore year. <laughs> um, I saw this summer is where it gets really, like, fuzzy. Mm. The and summer then, after. So mm -hmm. that's six months after. Because that's when I felt like, that's when I turned it off. And that's when it became, like, numb, I feel like, almost. And there was times, of course, I was grieving and I would cry. But it was usually when I was intoxicated. So I don't really remember. And it wasn't helpful. But it was, so I was doing something, but like. So when you say grief and grieving, what are you talking about exactly in terms of emotions? When I feel like I'm grieving, I mean, I feel like it's when I'm crying. Okay, so crying and pain. Yeah, and if I'm really angry. Okay, angry. Um, I had a grief wave this weekend and bend because I hadn't been to bend. For five years, like I went to bend right after Leela had died, like maybe three days after. And um, so I went up there and I was doing well. Like it was a little tricky when I got there and I was like, okay, like you're going to just have fun. Like this is a new experience. And I was talking myself through it. And I was doing really, really well. And then we were chaperoning a party, though, a birthday party. So there was like 17, 18. They were like 17 years old. One of the girls who I, f I feel the most, like, the closest to, she was really drunk, and she was in the bathtub. And, like, mm -hmm. it just, I wasn't there for that night, but mm -hmm. I've heard it yeah. so many times that it just, like, it's, first of all, seeing someone so young feel like they need to numb themselves is not a fun sight to see, because I remember feeling like that. And she was just, like, so content in the bathtub. I don't know, I've been, it, it just brought me right back to there and I like I tried to 
calm myself down and not freak out because like at the time and place I really didn't want to have a grief wave there but I, I couldn't and it was just like this whole like I was trying so hard but it was just this rush throughout my whole body it was like I could feel every inch of my skin just tingling and I remember Kane asking me if I was okay and that's when I just like that's when I was like I tried but I just remember like I like sh- was shaking my hands out like I was like moving my body like trying to just get it out of me and then I eventually just was like all right I guess the only choice is to cry and so I just did and I just did it I guess so what happens when you do release it you do cry you do shake it off what happens kind of right after that I feel better you feel better I feel proud of myself that I did it and that Mm -hmm. I'm done with it now right so it kind of comes I'm just still I'm not actually blocking it I'm just like I'm gonna probably get mad at someone that day I'm probably gonna be a little more like moody something like that like it's gonna come out in some way I need to actually make it that it's coming out in the grief that I'm having and not a projection like yeah so yeah because projections don't really do anything it's just furthering the anger and all that stuff so so there are just a couple more questions. Um, they say that grief comes in different stages, right? There's shock, denial, bargaining, anger, guilt, depression, acceptance, new meaning, what they call post-traumatic growth. Those are kind of the mm-hmm. general stages. Would you say that those resonate as true for you? Or how would you describe, if I said to you, as an educator, these are the stages of grief. What would you say? How would I you correct? Giggle. I think I kind of giggle. Because they're real, but like. They're real. I don't think there's any sort of formula that you can use in a certain order. <laughs> I believe that those, the terms that you just listed, a lot of them are accurate towards grief. But I used to think that, oh, it goes exactly in that order. And then once you hit. The, the last stage, you're going to be better. You're all done. Yeah. And that Finish. Is, Game and, over. And no. that is not the reality. Um, for me, it went a lot back and forth between anger and, I guess, probably, like, bargaining, maybe. Like, confusion, kind of. Like, why, why would you do this? A lot of questions. And, yeah, and anger. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah. yeah. Where would you say you are right now, five years later? I was looking at that, and I would say that I'm in the, like, I'd say I'm in the new relationships and, like, new strength, new patterns, things like that. Like, actually taking ownership for the fact that it's okay for me to, like, be really sad about the fact that Lila isn't here anymore and like I don't need to act like I'm like super freaking tough like my like Lila dying doesn't affect me like no it does it does a lot um but with those I kind of feel like when I look at that like there would be days where I'd go through all five stages of grief and then there would be like a week that I'd spend in anger and then there would be like a week that I'd spend in bargaining and then Maybe down the road, there's a whole day of, like, the stages of grief. Like, it's just, there. it's a great outline, but it, it's, I think it's personalized to each person. 
And as far as developing new relationships, coming to that more final new growth or post-traumatic kind of growth stage, new relationships, tell me, tell me what that looks like for you and, and why. For me, it's, I'm pretty good about laying kind of everything on the table at first and being more, I tell somebody what has happened, but I don't get emotional about it. I just let them know what I've been through and it takes me a while to actually open up to them emotionally about how I felt through the whole thing. And that's kind of something that people earn and it takes trust in them in order for me to open up to them about that. Yeah, I think people can get kind of uncomfortable with how callous I am about Leela and just like, like I'll just be blunt. Like, yeah. Like, yeah, that happened. Like, mm-hmm. I think today, like I said, I kicked the can. Like, ah, oh, like, I haven't done that since my friend kicked the can. I literally said that today. <laughs> but, um, I just totally lost my train of thought because I went off with my train of thought. Humor is a good coping mechanism. It is. It is. <laughs> and I don't think it's an unhealthy one. No, it's Because some people will be like, well, I remember that's really weird. And some I'm like, of Leila's other friends were very uncomfortable with us. Oh kind my god, of I forgot about that. Joking, and probably like a year later, we would kind of like you know throw some jokes to each other, and they would did not want to be around it. And we respected yeah. that, and we made sure that we didn't do that. But for us, it was helpful. Yeah, like it makes me like calling like like oh she's such a bitch. Like, like, that's helpful to me. It makes some people really uncomfortable. Like, <laughs> I just think it's ridiculous to not acknowledge how she was a human after death, you know? Right? Like, of course she's that's a not bitch. She's a teenager. Exactly. Like, that's what we love yeah. about her. Exactly. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. Um, oh, um, the last question that I did want to ask is, um, do you think it would have been helpful to have more education around what grief is actually like. I guess the question I'm wondering about is, I feel like we teach our kids a lot of things about if you lose that soccer game, pick yourself up and dust yourself off and learn a lesson and go back out there and do it again. We teach a lot of things that actually end up being involved in grief throughout all all of our lives that result in how we feel about grief, but like that, like dust yourself off, pick it up. Like, Oh, don't cry about that. Like that, that sat with me the whole time when I was grieving. Um, but it's hard to instill that in one educational, this is what grief is like. like. You have to, it's, it's kind of more about parenting in the environment that you are, have grown up in and how, your family or whoever you're around talks about death and kind of talks about life as well. Mm -hmm. And both of those things can really impact how you deal with grief. And if you're religious, if you're not religious, it all comes into play in the long run. Do you think that most parents do, and maybe at the Catholic school because of the more religious um, element there, do you think that, parents are generally talking to their kids about issues of life and death and spiritual strength. Within the tiny compound of Catholicism, 
in my opinion, just like about heaven and kind of, you know, where you, you recite a prayer over and over again, but do you really know like what, what it's talking about? Can you even understand the, the deepness of it? And I get that they have theology classes and that's why they have it, but it's kind of pigeonholing to me. Mm -hmm. I think that it would be more helpful to have a, cause I don't really know how you'd make a class based off of grief. Like that does seem a little heavy and like educators wouldn't like cling on to it, you know, but the thing is, is that having a specialized um, group of people to facilitate grief with people when they're going through it, because we know when people die, so you can bring those people in when we need to. Awesome. All right. Um, I think for today in our heat of 118 yeah. degrees, <laughs> thank I'm you. Sweating. Thank you for listening to this podcast Balling in the Fast Lane. If you have been touched by teen suicide or have found this podcast series to be helpful, please support the related work of Maitri House Northwest, spelled M-A-I-T-R-I House Northwest. It's a 501c3 nonprofit organization with a mission to learn and heal through nature. Thank you.